And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And we welcome you into another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, coming to you from the Windy City, as it were. Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network, here in the mecca of college football, Atlanta. We have a lot to uh, get to talk about here today. Of course, more drama continues in the Big Ten, the Pac-12. Uh, that never-ending soap opera continues, and who knows, uh, we might have breaking news while we're, we're doing this, much like when we had Andy Staples on last week, the Jamie Newman news uh, broke literally as we're doing the uh, tail end of that interview. Uh, 76 FBS teams are playing football. We got to see some of those over the weekend. It definitely was unique in a lot of respects with either no crowds or limited crowds, some sloppy play as to be expected. Uh, we'll talk some about that. And we've already got a coach fired. <laughs> One came in in uh, Hattiesburg. But uh, we love getting good guests on here. And we've got a good one for you today. Also in the state of Georgia, and for my money, one of the top analysts uh, for ESPN for quite some time, we are talking uh, the pride of Parkview High School. And I had to look that up, Matt Stinchcomb. I, I didn't know you went to the same high school as one Jeff Francoeur, amongst so many other great athletes. So you've got a, a good well of athletes to come out of your high school in addition to University of Georgia. There's, there have been quite a few that have come through the halls of that Lilburn High School. And it wasn't always football guys. There was really, it's more a, a baseball school, still is. Um, even when Jeff Francoeur and others um, were going through there, those guys, I think they won three straight state championships in football and three straight in baseball as well. Wow. So it was kind of the salad days of Pantherville. Uh, and they're still doing well. Baseball still is a really competitive program, and so is, so is the football program. So I can't say that um, it was we had reached quite those heights when I was there, but it was definitely headed in the right direction. My timing's never been great. <laughs> was there well, a little... we're all about the same age and i certainly remember you as a as a player am i right to assume you grew up a bulldogs fan but what was that process like to, that got you to athens yeah oh yeah well it's interesting because there wasn't uh there wasn't a lot of georgia grads um mom aunts all went to west georgia uh dad didn't go to college uh, stepdad was at Georgia for, I want to say, the most glorious quarter academic term that anyone has ever experienced. He got more stories out of that one quarter at Georgia than I did in four years. Um, so he made, he made his time worth it. But we grew up Georgia fans mainly. Half the family on my dad's side are, are Georgia Tech people, so um, we do our best to decipher their binary code. Um, otherwise... It's mostly Georgia folks, and there's a smattering of Tennessee Vols somewhere in the family tree mm. that we try to ignore as best we can. Yeah, that's got to be difficult, uh, especially certain weeks out of the year. Well, it's easier. It's easier these days, Mike. Uh, I was, well, was going to say, there's the no 90s. Question. It was kind of tough. Yeah, which side of the family's had more bragging rights here of late? Do you suffer from the same? Uh, paranoid fans that uh, every time you're on and you're doing a game that involves Georgia on the SEC network or what have you, 
where you get the, uh, oh, he's a Georgia homer, oh, he's biased. Do you, do you get a lot of that, like so many of the other former players in this league? Mike, you know how it works. It's I get that whether I'm doing a Georgia game or not. It's whoever's playing well, I'm clearly right. pulling for that team. And whoever's just completely stepping in it on that Saturday, I've got it in for those guys. And it's obvious that my commentary directly impacts their quality of play and the future outcome of that game. So if I were to predict a team's going to win and or lose, I think we all know that, um, you know, barring some unforeseen circumstances, that's precisely what's going to happen. And a lot of fans hold me to that. (laughs) Well, we can expect more of the paranoia this year. I'm sure. Speaking of paranoia, I mean that, that among many other emotions have been in the air, this crazy off season. What, what has it been like, for you getting ready for all of our favorite time of year, and that is college football season. And yet it, it's, it's been so awkward. Uh, we just had a, you know, a slate of games, uh, not SEC games, but still games. It, it did feel a little bit different. Uh, we know the, the pageantry, the overall atmosphere of these stadiums is not going to be the same. Everything's a little bit off, but as I've said all along, it's not going to be ideal. I'll still take it over no football at all. So how have you been able to just kind of maintain sanity as, as well as composure getting ready for this year? Well, it has been, I've been frustrated on behalf of the players. And I think I can, I still can harken back far enough and getting to see these games and spend some time with these guys on Fridays um, and in the off season that I can uh, empathize more, at least from their perspective. I cannot imagine being a coach, um, a parent of some of these athletes, an administrator trying to navigate these waters. Um, but all those people I just described are adults, you know, broadcasters, you know, are, and even in our industry, we're all been kind of vexed. You know, there's been a lot of hand wringing, a lot of gnashing of the teeth going, what is going to happen? But, I cannot fathom what it would be like to be a a kid, a 20 year old kid who is, are we going to play? Are we not going to play? If you're in the big 10 conference right now, and these guys from what I can gather did everything that they were asked to do. And even then had the season, um, we'll say postponed at least at this juncture, um, but certainly not unfold the way they otherwise would have anticipated, including after a schedule release, and regardless of how those decisions were arrived upon, the mindset um, of those kids and the impact on it, that it likely had on it, talk about adversity. Um, it's hard not to be really frustrated on their behalf. The rest of us will figure it out. Um, but these kids have, they only get this one opportunity, regardless of what the NCAA says, as far as, you know, kind of tolling this one year of eligibility and allowing it to uh, not impact uh, their four years on the field, um, they're not going to get this year back. Those kids aren't getting any younger. And there's a whole new crop of high school athletes that are coming out next year, whether they like it or not. And what about them? Um, So it's really looking at the kids, the student athletes themselves, and how this entire process uh, can impact them. And also seeing all of this through a lens of, a pandemic um, that uh, I think any thinking person will will validate is very real. Um, and at the same time, 
the consequences and the circumstances that are created around it are uh, especially challenging as well, even outside of the health concerns. Yeah, when, when you have conference commissioners like Larry Scott continually saying things like, we're doing the best for the health and safety of our players. Well, I, I kind of wonder if, if that's what the players actually think. I mean, the moment yeah. that word came out, clearly there were players that did not feel that way. Uh, we're not supporting that decision and still don't support that decision, but they don't seem to have a vote. Uh, so I can only imagine, you know, if, if it was a, a 20, 21 year old Matt Stinchcomb entering his junior or senior campaign and somebody at that level is telling you, no, you're not playing because we're looking out for your best interest, but these other leagues, they are going to play and the NFL is going to play and high school football in those States are going to play, but you, you can't play. I imagine that might not go over well. Now, that just, to me, that just doesn't hold up to any level of scrutiny, frankly. Um, and I will say that I think all of these uh, various conferences, especially among the, uh, the Power Five, but even throughout uh, the landscape of, of college football and, and even the other fall sports, I don't understand um, how the decisions um, that have ultimately been arrived upon are seemingly so disparate when um, I, is it just an entirely different fact set that one is looking at versus the other? Is it a lack of preparation or a head start for some conferences versus others that would allow them or afford them the chance to go forward? Um, is there some provincial study that some conference has or statistics or data that they have access to that uh, the other conferences didn't? Uh, and so is it a less informed decision? I, I can't imagine that being the case. Why? How could that possibly be the case, um, at least from uh, the science behind it? And so because of it, if I'm a kid, I'm sitting there going, what gives? How is it that these guys can play and we can't? Is, is the impact of this virus different based on conference affiliations? I just, I don't, there's elements of it that would be exceedingly frustrating, um, if not infuriating from an, uh, an athlete's perspective and insulting to put a finer point on it because you're saying, am I not um, bright enough? Do I not understand enough the information that you are making a decision, Mr. Whomever, President, Athletic Director, Conference Commissioner, uh, versus what my parents or whomever my guardians are or myself or whoever it is that I seek input from to arrive upon whether or not I think it makes sense for me to play ball or not this year. Instead, you're just going to take that decision out of my hands and do it for me. Talking with Matt Stinchcomb here on JC and Morgan, Matt Stinchcomb of the SEC network getting ready for a game soon, somewhere, somehow details to follow. <laughs> but again, 2020, that's the life we're all uh, living in, uh, in the broadcasting circles as well. How much football have you had a chance to see thus far? And as a former player, and if you want to bring it to specifically the offensive line, what did you see that maybe was lacking that you would not ordinarily see if we had regular conditions, regular practices, uh, uninter you know, lack of interruptions, et cetera, et cetera? What, what, are we, what should we expect will be the biggest uh, kind of chink in the armor for the actual play on the field? I think it will be special teams. Um, and I do think that it'll be offensive play early on, although, you know, everybody's kind of sloppy now. We saw in the open UCA, I think was the second play of the game. Offensive snap takes one to the house. Um, uh, you know, the other night it was, you know, it was pretty lopsided, obviously with BYU. I think they were, you know, they were gashing 
Navy pretty good on effectively the same run concept over and over again, um, which is kind of something that the middies typically do, right, with their option attack. But I think early on it makes sense that the offenses will be behind and further behind than they typically would be. There's just not enough reps. There were no spring reps. There wasn't, enough, there wasn't enough time. By the time you're actually practicing, you're also in class. Um, the way the camps had, had to shift later in the calendar year. But special teams, because I'm curious what impact depth uh, will have on even uh, rosters that have talent top to bottom. Uh, and we're talking about uh, programs that have recruited at a pretty elite level not only with opt-outs, but guys that might not be available on Saturdays because of uh, positive tests, um, et cetera. What does it look like on the non-normal down snaps, the special team snaps, the coverage units, the return units? Um, I'm just curious as the season unfolds, the way we all hope that it will, um, that if we start it, that it will be able to finish it. What does it look like from a depth standpoint towards the back end of the season? Because we'll see a group of five teams, uh, even some of the top-tier FCS teams, their frontline talent will look a lot like a lot of FBS teams. The problem is is that you get to the special teams, and now all of a sudden you've got second, third, third on the depth chart guys out there running around, and the difference, the drop-down is glaring uh, at those levels versus, uh, say, in Alabama uh, or a Florida or a Georgia uh, where they've got talent to spare, and those guys just want to get on the field and, and put something on tape where they can get on the regular down snaps. So those two areas, I think those two areas make the most sense, um, although you know the defense has looked pretty shabby in some ball games already. Matt, there's four new coaches in the SEC this year. Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Mike Leach at Mississippi State, and Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. Uh what are you thinking if you're those guys? Because you had such a big break, uh, not necessarily in terms of install and all that, because they did have the walkthrough period, but just in terms of getting to know your players, how important is that uh, when you take over a new situation and knowing who you can trust, uh, who's a guy that, that you know, you're familiar enough with to where you can put him in the game in certain situations? Yeah, that's going to be tough. And there's really no way to develop that rapport over Zoom. I mean, regardless of how normal we act like Zoom is, <laughs> it's, it's not normal. You just you can't get to know somebody uh, through an LED screen. Eventually, you got to sit across from them. At least you got to you know throw some shade on the other guy. They got to understand what it's like to be around each other. And the fact that those coaches didn't get to do that, it definitely sets them back from an understanding of what kind of kid is this. I can turn on tape. And I can tell you if they're if they're good or not, or if they can even potentially execute or not. But what kind of kid is this? And is he the kind of guy that I can trust in a pressure situation? How attentive is he? You know, how does he interact with his teammates? How does he interact with me? How does he take coaching? All those things that they just can't evaluate, and you can't figure that out on a Zoom call. Um, that's really tough. Um, but I will say externally, and those are kind of internal issues. How you interact with your own players they kind of can breathe a sigh of relief, right guys? I mean, this is, this is an asterisk year. It's almost just like, Hey, let's just get these games out there. Let's try to play them. Let's make it as pretty as we can. It's going to be some horrible football played guys. I mean, this is, this is not going to be good football. It just, it isn't. But as we pointed out, 
football is better than no football. Even ugly football, we'll take it. And all these kids will too. And I think the fact that um, outside of those four guys, and you look at these, these other programs, there's enough turnover at coordinator. There's enough turnover at quarterback where all of them are still in a kind of get-to-know-you phase. So it's not as if each one of these squads are going to roll into – you know, 2020 hitting on all cylinders. You look at some spots, Texas A&M, they should be dialed in. All the pieces are still there. The head coach, coordinators, and quarterback, all the same guys. Uh, Florida, same thing, even though they had a transition during the season last year. Um, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, they get Terry Wilson back. I mean, there's some that are going to be ahead, but everybody else is kind of in the same boat. And if it doesn't go well this year, is anybody really going to hold anyone's feet to the fire, given what's going on? We should all just be thrilled that they're going to go out there, kick the ball off, and play full quarters of football. But it's not going to be good-looking ball. Do you think because of a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, Matt, that we act, if there's one, I don't want to call it a positive, but I know for a lot of fans, and we've talked about it on this podcast for years, we're, we're kind of in the era of the cabal, where it's the same five, six schools competing for the playoff and the national championship every year. It's become insanely predictable with the scheduling quirks and the obvious COVID quirks. I mean, if this was a regular year, we know what everybody would be predicting Alabama on the West and either Georgia or Florida in the East, but maybe because this is a quirky asterisk type of year, maybe it's not as predictable. Do you see potential for some surprises? Yes, absolutely. And that's what makes it so much more compelling. Frankly, it is that, from a uh, surprise outcome possibility perspective, you're exactly right. All the other years are kind of boring. Um, I felt like, you know, LSU in the kind of year that they ended up putting together, not many people were predicting that. They weren't going to say this is going to be dumb. And we're talking about one of the most uh, outlier years that a college football team's ever put together, certainly offensively. Um, but otherwise, it's kind of the same group of it's the usual suspects. Let's just rotate them through. But this year, when you take into account the, we'll call it additional adversity that's uh, non-traditional, um, I think there's, there's quite a leveling of the playing field in that regard, and there's advantages in areas that otherwise wouldn't be as advantageous as they will be this year, I think, where there are no warm-up games. There wasn't a usual ramp-up to the season. There wasn't an opportunity for offseason. If you look at Georgia, there's an, even incentive and, and allowance for what was going or thought to be your starting quarterback and transfer from Wake Forest and Jamie Newman is just going to tap out uh, due to COVID concerns and, and preparation for the NFL. That alone shakes up Georgia's opportunity. And many are saying now that they think that Florida is probably the favorite in that division and, and for justifiable reasons. But what about a Kentucky? What does that look like with the pieces that they have back and the fact that everything is intact coming into the season, are they further along than some of these other programs? Certainly Georgia offensively, I think it's inarguable uh, that Kentucky should be more intact offensively than what was thought to be at least at one point in time, uh, the potential division, future division winner in the Georgia Bulldogs. Does that open the door for those guys? I think you look at Texas A&M. They got to be sick about not getting to play their usual 2020 schedule the way it was laid out. Mm. But regardless, they do have some distinct advantages given how they uh, return an offense that's almost entirely intact uh, and centered around a quarterback that should be coming to his own in Kellen Mond this year. 
Um, I, I don't hear as many people as I thought talking about A&M. Um, and I still hear a lot that are still, you know, pushing LSU. Um, I think that they're set further behind because of the massive uh, exodus that they uh, experienced, not only uh, traditionally due to graduation, eligibility exhaustion, or leaving for the NFL, uh, to even uh, some of the opt-outs that they've experienced. So um, I think it's one of those years, guys. And the fact that you can tap out at any point in time, um, and still have your eligibility preserved um, is something to watch throughout the season. If, if an otherwise contender stumbles out of the gates, how intact does that roster remain through the balance of the season? I don't know. And they're not going to pull your scholarship either. Right. Everything's yeah. still going to be paid for. That's huge. It's huge. You get, your, you get a year of eligibility back, you get your everything else remains intact, and – you know, season's not going the way you want it, or it's just we're not going to be contending. And so, ah, you know what? Why risk it? I, I, that's not a mentality that I, I necessarily ascribe to or aspire towards, but it's out there. Um, I think it's very real, and it's something that I think we will ultimately see teams have to experience uh, as this year unfolds. The, Matt, go ahead. Well, I was just going to follow up on that real quick. The, the Jamie Newman, who you mentioned, story, that actually broke when J.C. and I were – interviewing Andy Staples a week ago. And I don't know about you. I didn't hear anybody in our profession that thought that was coming down the pike. I mean, that was completely out of left field. I'm not sure if the Joe Georgia coaching staff was surprised at all or what, but what was your initial reaction when you heard the news on Newman and, and how dramatically do you think it affects Georgia? Well, selfishly I was hacked because I thought they, I, I was actually on my way to Athens when it broke. I was about 15 minutes away from their facility because we were going to tape the SEC Now show from there. And he was the debut player that I was most looking forward to. So we had to <laughs> rebuild the B block because David <laughs> Newman wanted to tap out. Um, I was very surprised. Um, and I get his concerns. Uh, there's, some, there's definitely some validity to it. The timing was very curious. Um, you know, they, they've been practicing for some time. They just held their first scrimmage. Um, as we understand it now, he made the coaches aware of his decision on Tuesday before he went public with his decision on Wednesday. Um, and I think that it was just interesting um, because um, I don't know what otherwise informed his decision, what uh, changed as far as the situation on the ground to where his concern would uh, elevate from a COVID perspective. Um, and maybe it was just, uh, you know, Dominic Blaylock, the number one returning receiver from a production standpoint, anyway, going down with an ACL, he goes out there in the scrimmage, didn't like what he saw. and was like, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm not going to be able to embellish upon my draft stock with this crew. Maybe that's what it was. And it could have been as simple as that. Regardless, it definitely changes things. It's, and that's a massive understatement given the way he performed a year ago, albeit, uh, rather inauspiciously versus um, you know better opponents. Um, his his statistics, at least from a production standpoint, uh, was less than stellar. Uh, that said, there's no arguing the skill set, the experience, um, and the ability to uh, plug into that program more readily than a JT Daniels that's further behind uh, that was introduced to the program much later. Regardless of the fact that they didn't have a spring practice and they were doing largely Zoom meetings. Um, it definitely impacts, I think, the way Georgia projects to uh, perform offensively, at least in the nearest term, knowing that they have to pivot that hard 
Um, and from a depth standpoint, obviously it changes things as well because you're looking at now a Dwan Mathis um, or JT Daniels led quarterback room versus maybe uh, the three headed monster you had with Newman in there. Matt, uh, you played college football with uh, Mike Bobo at Georgia. Um, I'm sure you're very familiar with him from his time at Georgia. We have a lot of South Carolina listeners, to this podcast, um, what kind of impact do you think he makes uh, on Will Muschamp's program this year? Uh, I know that he brought his quarterback with him from Colorado State, and they're battling it out with Helensky. But, you know, just kind of your take on the Gamecocks on that side of the ball, knowing Mike Bobo kind of like you do, uh, you know, from a scheme perspective or, or a fit perspective, you know, how do you think that fits in? Well, I, I'll say this. Um I'll predisclose my bias, and it's obvious. I played with Mike. He was a great quarterback uh, at Georgia, and people, um, some will argue with that. They, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, and from a play caller standpoint, his reputation kind of stands on its own. Um, it's, it's one of the best offensive coordinators and play callers that we've seen uh, in the conference, and the output is there. Uh, the production is there. I think that uh, I know for a fact that um, that offense will have never been coached harder. Um, he is uh, an incredibly demanding guy, um, but not unreasonable. Uh, a guy that uh, coaches to success, doesn't coach to failure, meaning um, he's going to put his guys in a position to exp- experience success and then expect more of themselves versus putting them in, in situations where, yeah, it's going to be challenged challenging you know maybe you sink maybe you swim um there's a you find a million coaches out there that can do that let's just throw out a, a super challenging scenario out here and see which one of these guys are able to you know float back to the surface um mike's not that guy um but he's going to demand an immense uh, amount of effort and execution level of execution out of these guys i think what's most interesting uh about mike in his coaching career is his uh, versatility, the fact that he's been able to incorporate a number of different uh, offensive philosophies without really ever getting fully away from where he is um, uh, from a mentality standpoint. In some ways, he reminds me of Jimbo Fisher in that he has got a a, um, hardened steel edge to the way he wants his offenses to approach uh, the way they play the game. They're going to be hard-nosed. They'll be downhill. They're going to be tough. That doesn't mean that they're a grind and plot them out. Let's line up in the power eye and challenge defenses and just slam our head against a brick wall. We've seen him change to where he can use multiple different tempos. Nobody's going to formation more often um, or is at least capable of formationing more often with more personnel groupings, getting to the same play six or seven different times or different ways to where the defense uh, can't necessarily draw a bead on what they're about to see. And it could be the same thing. It's 34 gun over and over and over again, but how did we get there? Um, that's enough to uh, even formation a defense into uh, an advantage for the offense. Um, but the fans, I think more than anything, he does a great job of uh, sequencing his play calling where a play in the first quarter makes sense for a play in the third quarter. And, you know, defensive coordinators know that players know that fans don't always notice that. Um, players certainly notice that when you're running plays, it's not just to gain yards right here. Uh, that play's meant to succeed in and of itself, but it's also meant to lead to success later on in the game. And it's more than just, oh, run, run, play, action, fake. Um, he does a great job of that. That's something that I think will be a hallmark 
of the offense this year if they can get to it and if they can get that running game established despite some of the injuries they've already experienced. Final moments with Matt Stinchcomb of ESPN on the SEC Network. Uh, Matt, we, we, we've uh, obviously eliminated one guy from this list in, in Jamie Newman. I'm going to go off the, the grid and not ask you who's going to be in Atlanta because you're going to be asked that a thousand times if you haven't already. G- give me the quarterback at the end of the year that we're going to say that that was the best year that anybody had in the SEC at that position. I think it should be the Kellen Mond kid. I really do. Um, you know, he's, he's got the run element to his game. He can extend plays. He's gotten better. He's still not as good as he needs to be as far as being quicker with his decision-making. That was his issue. That's kind of been his issue. Um, but he loves to be coached hard. He's got all the pieces around him. Uh, I think this should be his year. I think there's a very real chance for this to be his year. And you look at the quarterback landscape, um, obviously Kyle Trask, um, somewhat proven in an abbreviated um, uh, season for him last year, obviously didn't start the season as a starter. He got Garantano at, at Tennessee who, gosh, from a mental toughness standpoint, proved that that kid's made of some special stuff. Uh, the way they were able to finish the year versus the way it started, uh, even for him personally as well as for the team. But I still think it should be Kellen Mond's year. I think it sets up that way for him. It should be uh, a year where finally I think the Aggies fans see what they got in Jimbo Fisher, but also uh, some of the promise that they saw early in Kellen Mond that has been kind of slowly simmering to a boil this year. And there's a lot of Aggie fans that believe this ought to be Jimbo Fisher's year in terms of marked improvement. And obviously yeah. those, those two are tied together. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, Matt, again, uh, always have enjoyed your work. Uh, hope we can uh, link up sometime. Congratulations again, by the way, on college football hall of fame right here in Atlanta. I know you and I haven't seen each other uh, since then, but that had to be a, a tremendous honor, tremendous experience for you. Man, it was a blast. I couldn't believe they let me in that sucker. I suck in the <laughs> well, it was well-deserved for sure, and you can catch, uh, catch Matt again. Going to be working with somebody somewhere in the SEC somehow, but a lot of these questions are still being uh, resolved in, in a very bizarre year for all the TV networks, uh, including ours. Matt, thank you so much for the time, and enjoy the rest of what's left of your time off, okay? I appreciate it. Mike, JC, thanks for having me. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Great stuff from Matt Stinchcomb of ESPN and the SCC Network. We'll take a very quick timeout. Back with a whole lot more on JC and Morgan. No road, no problem. Get to where you're going with a truck loan from Founders Federal Credit Union. Prepare for the drive of your life with our low rates and easy application process. Set your budget with our online auto loan calculator or get started right away on your application in Founders Online at foundersfcu.com slash auto. On the move already and looking for a lower payment? Refinance with Founders and lock in your low rate today. Visit relaxjoinfounders.com to see if you qualify for membership. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. All right, back here on JC and Morgan. And again, lots to get to uh, JC as we've been looking at what's going on. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and I had hoped there, there are some people out there with Twitter accounts that were making some pretty brash predictions. I think there's one guy, Yacht Boy or something. Sir Yacht. Oh, man. (laughs) Who is this guy? I had no idea who it was, but like it was getting traction. This is a kid with a TikTok account. He's like, if you, if you read through his stuff, anybody just promoting something else besides the information they have, 
uh, you know, there's an ulterior motive, ulterior motive there. And it was just like, he's been breaking news about the big 10 returning to play for a long time. And none of it's come, not a lot of it's come true. Um, yeah. I think me or you could have done it with a, a t- you know, it's a Twitter account connected to like, his. it's like, Hey, come watch my TikTok videos. They have nothing to do with like big 10 football or anything. So I think, I think he's laughing all the way to uh, relevance there. I, I guess so. I mean, even, uh, you know, Dan Patrick is somebody I have a lot of respect for and he, he's been right on a lot and he's had to go back. Yeah. But he's had to go back on some stuff. You know, you can't say October 10th is what I'm hearing. Well, I did say the word, if the protocol, I mean, come on, wow. October 10th, it doesn't look like it's happening at all. And what he said today, though, is something I've been hearing too. The Illinois schools, politically do not want to play the Michigan schools, even though we thought because the governor of Michigan reinstituted high school football, right. you know, Michigan's got a governor that doesn't want them to play. And then their school president is an epidemiologist. Um, and he's been against them playing for a long time. So that, that wipes Michigan, Michigan state out, Illinois, Northwestern. And then I think for different reasons, Maryland and Rutgers uh, did not want to play. So that, that wipes out a bunch still, Mike, if you're missing those schools, if you get Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, Purdue, Indiana, Penn State, Ohio State together, even if you're having a season without Michigan, I mean, to be honest, if every other school is going to play uh, and Michigan doesn't want to, then I think that's a, that you know that you need to probably change school presidents if you care about football because I know people in Michigan care about football. And that's the only thing that's stopping them from playing. And I don't think at this point, Mike, they're not giving out any cookies and, and nobility awards uh, for uh, for sitting out the season. It, it, by Day by day, if you're not trying to actively play, you're looking worse and worse and worse. Well, and, and specifically, the guy you're talking about is Michigan President Mark Schlissel. Schlissel, yeah. Uh, who has not been res- – I guess he's following the lead of Kevin Warren. Like I see Larry Scott everywhere and granted Larry Scott might be trying to save his job. Uh, but Kevin Warren, who I guess assumed that everybody was just going to follow his lead. The guy who's the new kid on the block and has virtually zero experience uh, in college athletics. Uh, you know, he, he jumped the gun on everybody after going on co- joint conference calls with the other conference commissioners about scheduling uh, he kind of went rogue and said, oh, we're going to do conference only. That didn't go over well with the other four. Uh, and then on, on this, you know, six days after putting out that schedule, decides he's kind of going to go rogue again and tell everybody we're not playing and, and then lead people to believe there could be a spring model, which we know is not happening. Uh, and I'm sorry, if you, if you start football January 1, that's not spring football. That's winter football. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, but you've got that, and you've got Schlissel is not commenting on much of anything. You know, I, sometimes I wonder, like, if these school presidents understand there is some accountability. Like, I get it. He's got a medical background. If there's anything we've learned, you can't get uh, all these doctors to agree on anything. And it's not unlike if you had a torn... Uh, shoulder or knee and you go and you get a second opinion from a doctor and he gives you a different opinion from the other doctor. I think many of us have been through that process. Uh, the, the COVID analysis and what to, it, it's so new and it's so uh, uh, unknown in a lot of respects that you, you should not expect a consensus. 
And I don't look to Mark Schlissel as the, the end-all, be-all of what it is. So when people say, well, we're going with the science. No, uh, you're going with your opinion of the science. Exactly. That, Big that, difference. We, we, we've crossed. So, so how is the science different? If the, it, yeah, they're trying to spin it. And this is where it gets dicey. And I think bias and arrogant on a lot of people's part. You know, they're trying to spin it like, well, the science that the ACC and SEC and Big 12 are listening to and the American and the Sun Belt and Conference USA, you know, that's not the same. So we have better science. No, science is science. And and look, I, nobody's still been able to explain to me why with proper testing protocols and proper, you know, you know, quarantine things and, and, and PPE and all the things that they do to protect football players, why, why is that? dangerous, you know, more dangerous than throwing them out into the student body. University of Michigan president Schlissel has already uh, come out and drawn heat from his own faculty because he hasn't been transparent about them opening up regular school. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, you, you're not going to have regular school, but I mean, you know, you're going to have, you're going to open back up regular school controversial and then shut football down. To me, it sounds like, you know, somebody that's maybe either a wanting, um, you know, a power trip on campus. I'm bigger than football or whatever. Um, uh, or D or, or C it's B it's political. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there's any other uh, explanation for it, you know, at the university of Michigan. Now, you know, I think Rutgers and Maryland, maybe, uh, I mean, there's probably reasons they want to set, set out. It's, it's been kind of weird with those two, because you've heard they wanted to sit out from the start and I know that in the state of Illinois, there are some of the most draconian, backward, most ridiculous, you know, uh, uh, COVID restrictions known to man- in the entire country here in the state of Illinois that don't make any sense at all. And the best I can say about that is here, uh, politics, it's usually about somebody up the food chain or down the food chains getting paid for something. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but since I've lived in Illinois, I've learned that politics are a little different here. And, and so something's keeping, you know, uh, the governor, uh, who's a big marshmallow type of a, of, of, a, of a leader, in my opinion, just not not even a leader. Something's keeping him going, you know, Illinois, Northwestern, don't need to play college football, even though the Bears are playing, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there, there's something right. that's something political there that, that's happening within in this state. But, you know, I, I still don't understand if those two, you know, if Sir Yacht happens to be correct, which I don't, I don't know that he is. <laughs> if sure, Sir Yacht happens to be correct, and it is those schools that don't want to play, there's still eight other teams in the Big 12. We used to have eight team conferences. Go play a seven-game season starting in, the, in, in late October and get V into the playoff. I mean, you can, you can justify an Ohio State team that's played eight games, that's undefeated, that's kicked everybody's ass getting in the playoff. I'm sorry. Right. That, that's just how it is. Why not go and do that? that that's my question. And quite frankly, they're the only team that most of us think has a chance of making a four-team playoff anyway. With all yeah. due respect to Jim Harbaugh, with all due respect yeah. to Wisconsin, uh, Ohio State has a team that legitimately can contend for a national championship. I don't think there's another team in the Big Ten right now that can. No. Yeah. Uh, so if you've got Ohio State in for the league, it's a great thing. For Ohio State, it's a great thing. Financially, I mean, I don't know how they would divvy it up to the schools that didn't participate, but I imagine they would also get uh, some portion of all that money that would come in that's not going to necessarily come in if you just completely punt the season away 
or or settle on what most people would call a de facto JV season if you play after the play the national championships already been decided and you're going to play in January, February, March. Um, you know, that's the, the David Shaw line of reasoning, the head coach of Stanford, who I've always liked, but when he says things like, well, we'll just have a fall champion or a spring champion. No, dude, no. it's, <laughs> that's not the way it's going to be looked at. It's not going to be looked at co-national champions. You're going to be playing for your own trophy and you can call whatever you want, but it's not going to be a national championship for the 2020 season. And so when you look at all that, uh, I, I, I keep wanting to say it's not political, but it, it becomes harder and harder. It's almost like I wish you could just like you could all just uh, all the Big Ten fans and college football fans that are clamoring for football and would like to see the Big Ten participate. If you could just sign a document that says if the Big Ten does play, I promise I will not give any credit to one Donald Trump. And maybe then they would sign off on it mm. and, and, you know, to just take the, the politics out of it. Because honestly, I, I don't care who gets the credit. Uh, I'll give Kevin Warren credit for crying out loud. And so far, Kevin Warren hadn't impressed much of anybody. But uh, if, he, if he gets this thing done and they somehow start anywhere near October the 10th, uh, or 12th or whatever it is, I'll be more than happy to say, way to go, Kevin. You're on a hot streak, buddy. Um, I, I don't care. But I mean, this to, to give you a better perspective on how political it's become, I'm learning names like Larry Chatfield now. You know who Larry Chatfield is, JC? No. I didn't know either. Don't feel bad. He's the Speaker of the House in Michigan. Oh, yeah. I, I, saw, his, I, I saw his name on the letter they sent today. Yeah, they've got a letter out there, which basically says the Big Ten can play sports safely. The Big Ten should play sports safely. They should reverse the, the decision. Uh, hashtag let the Big Ten play. And there's several people like him, politicians, that have signed off on this. Uh, but you've got Kevin Warren and you've got some governors and you've got some school presidents that are just, they are determined not to have this happen. So that's the, that's the big 10 update. Then you got the PAC 12. And like I said, I mean, Larry Scott, one thing I'll say about Larry Scott and, and granted now he's trying to save his job. So you, the last thing you want to do is do the get in the bunker mentality like Kevin Warren has. But Larry Scott has always been pretty accessible, and Larry Scott comes across pretty well in an interview. Must be that Women's Tennis Association background uh, that he that he has before he took the job at one of the five most powerful conferences in all of college athletics. For all the things he's done wrong, i.e., the Pac-12 network, which has been uh, a disaster that they hope to to fix in the next TV contract when it's up. Uh, he has always been accessible. He's a good talker. And when you, when you hear him, he seems like a good guy. Like I, 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 I don't know many of these guys on, on that level, but Larry Scott seems like the kind of guy, if you had a beer with you know, uh, not a bad guy. However, uh, he made the decision uh, along with the big 10. Now uh, here's the thing. And you and I going all the way back to March and April talked about this. The conference that was going to have the hardest time making this go was the Pac-12. And the reason is, I don't think this is talked about enough. And I listened to an interview. He was on Dan Patrick last week. I caught him on Rich Eisen today. And Rich spent the better part of the interview trying to lead Larry Scott down a road. Rich basically wanted Larry Scott to say, the only reason that 
uh, Donald Trump is calling the Big Ten as opposed to the Pac-12s because those are swing states and the Pac-12 is not. Yeah, so, that's you know, common. That's a common theory. Right, right. And, and you know, and Rich is like raising his eyebrow and like, hmm, look at me. I, I really unraveled this. And that almost seemed to be the biggest point of Rich Eisen's interview. Rich is great uh, on the NFL Network and covering the NFL. I don't know if he's totally in tune with the fire, the, the finer intricacies of college football. So the, the interview was kind of lacking some of the things I hoped it would have. But Larry, did, he's, he's said this a couple of times now. You know, he says, look, uh, the, the new test could be a game changer. We thought January 1 was going to be the, the start date, maybe now a little bit earlier, not October, but maybe November, et cetera, et cetera. But what he keeps coming back to is California and Oregon do not have state government approval. That is your ultimate trump card. They they don't have it to practice, Mike. Well, they they they, they, they can't have uh, they can't get together to practice. That's what I'm saying. So even, even though the 49ers and Rams and right right it, it, well, if you're looking for logic and consistency in this from lawmakers, good luck. But basically, if you can't practice, you can't play games, right? So yeah. what Larry Scott knows, and here's a guy fighting for his job. So I promise you, Larry Scott wants football because mm-hmm. if there's no football in the Pac-12, it's one more reason for the powers that be in that conference to say, okay, it's time for a change. But he knows. And when he keeps saying kind of parenthetically, Hey, you know, this is a game changer and Hey, we want what's best for the health and safety of our players. But we also know we can perhaps get this done, but he keeps reminding everybody, California and Oregon won't allow it. That's six teams, six in the pack. Well, it's half your conference, including uh, two of the signature programs in Southern Cal and Oregon yeah. uh, that, that would have to just be AWOL during that, the, the process. So the Pac-12 is behind a much different eight ball than the Big Ten is. And I think that in all the confusion and, and all of this, that's been lost. I will throw Larry Scott one life preserver on that front. He wow. cannot control what California and Oregon are mandating. And, you know, Kate Brown and, and Gavin Newsom have been among the governors that have been the most uh, unrealistic and, you know, ridiculous in terms of their draconian measures, just like J.B. Prisker at Illinois and um, Wolf. And Pen- it, I mean, they had to just override Wolf in Pennsylvania to play high school football. He said, I don't think they should play. And they were like, tough. We voted 25 to 5 to play. <laughs> um, but Kate Brown is very draconian in how she runs her state in terms of COVID-19, even though Oregon hadn't gotten hit that hard, uh, even with all the stuff that's going on in Portland and, you know, all that good stuff. And I'm not going to get into that, but that's obviously, there's obviously a lot of public gatherings in Oregon and not a massive outbreak of COVID. And then Cali- social distancing yeah, when you're rioting. California has been just ridiculous. I mean, with how they've worked. I mean, if I, if I lived in California now, I don't care what political party I'm, I'm, I'm a part of. I'm pissed off of the entire government. I'm getting taxed to death. Uh, the power doesn't even work half the time. They had to have some, you know, uh, blackouts or something yesterday because their grid isn't working. You know, it's expensive as heck to live out there. And their and their COVID stuff has been absolutely insane since the start. And I, to me, Mike, that's not a Democrat or Republican thing. And that's just a ridiculous thing. And and I get it. And, and when the Pac-12 put out their medical reasons why they, they didn't think they should play, it was very localized and specific. And, and if you read through it, they did mention 
you know, th- there was a political type of issue and, uh, and they called it a moral issue. And maybe it is that they didn't feel like they could frontline tests to the players over the general public. And in California, there has been a COVID test shortage, I believe Arizona as well. Um, I don't think so in Oregon, but as I said, you know, she, she loves to shut it down. <laughs> so, um, you know, th- th- that was the thing. And, and so I think I understood where the PAC 12 was coming from this entire time. I did not understand the big 10. And for those of you out there in the national media that want to continue to side with the back the big 10 and think they made the right decision. How are you going to credibly side with the conference that's been the least transparent through all of this. And I said it last week, I'll say it this week. You were basically throwing in your chips with the conference that's been the least transparent. I've heard doctors from the Big 12, Bob Bowlesby is on everything, you know. Uh, Greg Sankey's done a lot of interviews over and over. He's been very transparent. They let their doctors speak. The ACC's doctor from Duke has been on the record. Um, You know, the Big 10 has been – I mean, the only thing we have actually heard on the record was some guy uh, from Penn State. I think it was a professor saying 35% of their guys had myocarditis. Myocarditis. He had to walk it back. You know, so if you're throwing in with a big 12, you know, just in terms of, you know, you want to talk about facts, you want to talk about the science, you know, then how are you going to sit there and just throw in, you know, you're basically, you're basically throwing in with Harry Potter over like, uh, you know, Mr. Wizard. <laughs> and by the way, there are some people, uh, as we've alluded to, that, that cover the sport. They couldn't wait to retweet that completely erroneous oh, Penn God. State report. I mean, they couldn't wait. They were salivating, and then they had to walk it back. Oh, by the way, that was completely inaccurate. <laughs> Terrible. I mean, it wasn't even a – it was just some close. guy talking out of his butt at some some sort of thing. But, yeah, I had to Google Mr. Wizard because I, I thought that was a science show. Um, Mr. Wizard's World, we all remember. Yeah, I remember that when I was a kid. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, yeah and, uh, and so I, I was trying to use a wizard, uh, like another wizard, but that was a scientist, you know. Uh, okay. They're both wizards, but are you going to believe Harry Potter or are you going to believe Mr. Wizard? I'm yeah. going to believe Mr. Wizard because he's real, and, he, and, and he's telling me scientific <laughs> facts, and he's not, like, casting spells and riding around playing kiddish or whatever the hell that is. You know, uh, so that's, that's what I'm saying. You're basically, if you side with the Big Ten, you're siding with Harry Potter over Mr. Wizard. I like that. That's the first reference of either one of those fine gentlemen that we've ever had here on JC. Absolutely. Uh, so that's where we are there. You know, you got, you got the Bobby Carpenters of the world, former Ohio state player and uh, ESPN analysts who, who, who's all over this and keeps tweeting like, come on guys, get it done. Do the right thing. Putting pressure on people. Um, but again, there's a big difference between the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in that, in that regard. It doesn't matter how powerful you are, including the President of the United States. Uh, I think a lot of people have learned it's kind of a, been a civics course lately. There's only so many things a president can do. The states ultimately run the states in a lot of fronts. And right now, the California and the Oregon schools, they just can't do it. They, ju- they just can't yeah. do it. That's not the case in the Big Ten. And, 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 and this thing could be the Big Ten could overturn this thing today, 
and start fine. playing games in mid October and have a full season without and, a bye week. And yeah, and so much of that in the Pac-12 too is county by county. The, these actually they've given these county health directors like all these enormous powers. Speaking of Harry Potter esque type of stuff, um, and and so yeah, like Larry Scott in an interview with Twenty Four Seven Sports was saying that the county officials, you know, that they gave the Chargers and Rams and Forty ers exemptions. You know, L.A. County, I think would be one. I think you know you'd have the counties around San Francisco. Uh, for Cal and Stanford, you know, that, that may, the testing protocol may happen. And, and, you know, but I, you know, I, I'm with you, the PAC 12, I'm giving them a total pass. And I'm also, I gave them a pass to begin with, cause I just didn't, I didn't know that they had the money to spend on all this testing. Um, but like Larry Scott said, it's a game changer because this testing is cheaper. Um, and doesn't cost them as much and you can do it on a daily basis. Stuart Mandel of all people, um, <laughs> actually wrote a column saying, uh, you know, they could delay the college football playoff by a week. I saw that. And then a week or two weeks. Uh, maybe it was two weeks. I think it's two weeks. And then, you know, our yeah, two weeks. Play the semis the fifteenth through the seventeenth, and then play the championship game, you know, kind of around the NFL on January twenty third. I wouldn't have a problem with that as long as the Pac twelve and Big Ten decided to Hey, we're going to start playing here because you're also going to have some situations where if you're the SEC or ACC, you may need a couple of weekends to kind of, you know, reschedule some games or stuff. You have some bowls or whatever, but I, I, I don't think I would have a problem with that. I do think ACC, SEC, Big 12, Mike, probably would scoff at that. Why are we moving this back for these guys? Well, again, this is where if you're Kevin Warren and you think you're the smartest guy in the room and you're going to show up the other four conference commissioners Mm. when you go rogue on the scheduling announcement and try to, again, look like, hey, we we care more about the student-athletes than everybody else does. So I'm jumping out first here, despite the fact that we've been on – We've been coordinating conference calls for five months. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this is what we're doing. And all the, the other four conference commissioners are like, what? what, huh, what? what? Whoa, uh, uh, yeah, I thought we were on, on the same page here. When you do that, uh, you, you, you all of a sudden, the, the goodwill that you might have accumulated over time by working and, and not trying to, uh, again, go rogue, all of a sudden, now, that's out the window. Now these other conferences are not going to do you any favors. So I, I read the same article you did. Um, and yeah, as a fan, look, you and I both have extensive backgrounds in the Southeastern Conference. I have never been one that wants the, the demolition of every other college football conference. I don't look at it like this is a game of Survivor and everybody else you want to kick off the island and you, you're the last one standing there. I think college football, I've said this numerous times on this podcast, college football is at its best when there are powerful teams from all over the country and not just one region and not just one league. And we have lost a lot of that over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Again, the playoff era, it's been the uh, SEC slash Clemson show with a little bit of Oklahoma going in and losing every time in the playoff mixed in. We haven't had a whole lot in an Ohio state. We haven't had a whole lot else and we haven't had anybody from the West. So I don't, I don't pull for the demise of any of these leagues. So yes, I would like in theory, I would like to see that, but I just don't expect the SEC, ACC and big 12 uh, to go, Hey, uh, sure. 
after showing us up. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to accommodate whatever you want. Anything sir. you want. Well, what else yeah. can we do for you? I well, mean, and, and this is the, these are the same two conferences that for – they're a reason we didn't even have a national, true national championship uh, until 1998 because they clung to the Rose Bowl like, right. like, like that lady from Titanic – held on to the diamond or whatever that they mm-hmm. wouldn't find, you know, that, that, that they clung to that. Like it was that. And then you have the fraud that was the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. You know, you're telling me that that, that Nebraska team wouldn't have just wiped the floor with those guys. Yes, they would have, but no, we got to vote the Rose Bowl. I mean, it's just, I wouldn't have even lended any kind of credit yeah. to that. It's and, also, it's the same. They are they are the two most arrogant leagues in the entire country. I mean, well, it's also to that extent the, the the two leagues that if you read between the lines, very often they like to let you know that they take academics more seriously. <laughs> yeah, than the other conferences. You know, they they kind of they give you that persona, and even now it's like I, just because your your president, your school president, is a doctor, that alone does not impress me. I know doctors; so they're not all impressive people, and some of the smartest people on the planet uh have never gone to med school so i i I don't that doesn't it doesn't like put you a step above everybody uh and again if you want to go back when when history is written on how this whole thing was handled greg sankey is going to be smelling like a rose that is the guy that has done virtually everything right in a scenario where it's almost impossible to be right every time he has done it uh, from the proper start date to the not hitting the panic button, he was the last one to cancel the SEC basketball tournament. Um, all, all the things that have gone down when some others and their inexperience and lack of, again, campus experience have, have shown up uh, rather wildly. Greg Sankey has been able to stand up above the rest. If there ever was a true czar or uh, commissioner of college football, that'd be your number one candidate. I don't think it's happening, as I've said many times, for a lot, lot of reasons, and, and I don't think there's any desire for Greg Sankey to leave the SEC. But uh, he has come out smelling like a rose. Uh, I would say John Swafford has also come out pretty good on this end, not just from the standpoint of 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 getting the ACC to get on board for football, but the Notre Dame thing. I think the Notre Dame thing was smart. Say what you want about that. It's a one-and-done deal. I get it. I know a lot of people have said, well, they should have just said, screw you, Notre Dame, take it or leave it. Well, Notre Dame would have left it, and then you, you just they never would have had that. Uh, if anything else, it does bring you one step closer to having Notre Dame as a full-time member. And for the time being, in 2020, it makes it a much better league. So I, I think he's done well. I think Bob Bowlesby has done well. And then there's the other two. Uh, some of the other things, how much of the, of the action did you get a chance to see this weekend? You get, we finally had a few FBS games. Did you check in on any of those? Man, I, I watched a lot of UTEP. <laughs> go miners um, go miners i thought they uh they, they got texas this week so they might not be that good but they, they got they came from behind to, to beat the lumberjacks of Stephen f austin and i thought that was that was kind of impressive you know um you know i got to watch uh, a lot of southern miss south alabama uh, i watched the byu demolition last night and I, I just think i felt sorry for navy because i just think those guys didn't practice and then they got hit in the like like physically yeah. Uh, they've been doing seven on seven all all preseason, and, and BYU's got a big old offensive line and just yeah. smacked them in the mouth. Uh, but Navy will come back. I mean, that, 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 I think that's one of those that you just say 
Well, you know, it is what it is. They also um, lost one of the best players in college football, Malcolm Perry. I don't yeah, realize yeah. Malcolm Perry, he actually gave you the threat of the forward pass. The, the young man last night is just not ready to do that. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the that's the thing. But, it, you know, that, uh, BYU, very impressive. And uh, that people were pointing out, you know, if we'd start talking about if they have, you know, uh, bowl games, New Year's Six bowl games or whatever, BYU schedule all of a sudden is you're like, wow, if they can play like that the whole time, they don't, you know, they kind of can coast. Uh, to, uh, they could be undefeated and they could be in the playoff. We could have the Cougars, the 1984 national champions could be back in the playoff. But, um, you know, so I did watch some of that, you know, I, I kind of, you know, turned it on and off, watched a little baseball, to be honest, this weekend as well. But uh, I don't think that the play, the style of play, was really any different than than maybe some sloppy season openers have been uh, in the past, Mike. And I think, you know, when you talk about the SEC having two more weeks to get ready and the Big 12, you know, playing playing some cupcakes off the, off the, the top uh, before they go into conference play, um, I think that I think that you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna see some better football maybe than you think. Uh, but like Matt said earlier, it's, it's not gonna be you know the same as if, if it would have been a regular year. No, it, it, the the product is not going to be as crisp. I don't. I, I mean, tackling has been an issue at all levels of football anyway. Even when they have yeah. practices and there's not a pandemic, uh, but that might be more glaring uh, th- this season than others. And you know, offensively. Uh, in terms of being as crisp as you normally would be, it might not be the same. But I don't know if your average fan's going to be able to tell the difference, nor are they going to care. As long as you're winning games, that particular fan base is going to be happy. Uh, for the gamblers out there, you know, you either cover the minus five and a half or you don't. That's, that's going <laughs> to, your happiness is going to depend almost entirely on that. Um, and then for your average college football fan who just wants something to watch on a Saturday, it, it, it's there and you're thankful. Um, I watched some of the game last night. It was clear early on. BYU was just going to maul Navy. Um, uh, again, Coach Ken to me is one of the top coaches in the country doing more with less. The guy routinely wins nine, 10 games a year. But uh, as you mentioned, some of the, some of the liabilities they have had in preparation and then you lose Malcolm Perry, who you could make the case was a legitimate Heisman trophy candidate. Um, Saw some of the Southern Miss game. I, look, I was surprised. South Alabama is not a good team. They hadn't won. A, they hadn't won a road game in three years. But what was was even more surprising was that they fired Jay Hobson, their head coach, yeah. after the game. Uh, I mean, one one and done. That um, I understand they didn't end the, the previous year well. Um, but that's a little surprising in the middle of a pandemic. After one game, you're going to ask your coach, look. Southern Miss is on the outside. I used to look at Southern Miss probably the way most people look at Southern Miss. You know what about Southern Miss? Brett Favre went there, beat Florida State when he was there. They used to win a lot of games. Coach Bauer was a, 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 an upset machine. They would pull off. They would ruin somebody's season almost every year, it felt like. And you just felt like, yeah, and they're in fertile recruiting ground in the state of Mississippi. Uh, and so you just assume that Southern Miss should be one of those top group five teams. Then you find out, uh, having done a few games there and talked to some people, including Brett Favre about it, they don't have money. They just, they just don't have it. 
Um, this and this goes beyond Conference USA's TV deal is not as good as Power Five, obviously, and it would have been great if Southern Miss could have gotten in the American like everybody wanted to. But the American made a rather shrewd move. They wanted a lot of schools from major cities and major TV markets in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, this just in. Well, it's a charming town, and I've spent a few days there. Uh, is is not that, and so, and you for whatever reason the alumni base and the booster, they just are not getting what some of those other similar Group Five schools are getting. And until that happens, Southern Miss, even though they've had good coaches grow through there, like Coach Munkin and others, uh, it, it's a really tough job. Yeah, I, I, I do think so. And, and I think that they have had good coaches. And Jeff Bauer, a lot of respect for that guy and, and what he did uh, during his years at Southern Miss. And, and it's, it's a lot like, an, like East Carolina. Uh, you know, East Carolina is a, a program that, you know, they have they're, – they're stuck in Greenville, North Carolina. But they, they get 50000 a game. They have a passionate fan base. Um, so that's something. Southern Miss does too. I mean, that, that was a socially distant stadium last night. That's not their normal deal. But, you know, Bauer did such a great job there. And then it's like, you know, after winning 119 games through the year 2007, you know, things just uh, haven't really been the same. You know, Fedora had them going a little bit. You know, they'd win 11 games or whatever. But when the conference broke, when, it, when the American – you know, sort of broke off. And that's, that is the sixth conference, you know, no matter what anybody wants to say, you know, that that's tough. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's a tough deal. Um, you, you're just kind of, you're kind of thrown in there with whoever um, you've got peer schools that you've played for so long, like Tulane that are in that league. And, 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 you know, you've got uh, Houston that's in that league and Cincinnati. And, and those are schools that used to play Southern Miss every year, Memphis, but now they're kind of a step up, and, and, and that's tough. And, and, you know, I'd still think they can get somebody in there, and Bruce Feldman mentioned Rich Rodriguez's name the other day. I think a guy like Rich Rodriguez could go in there and make some noise in Conference USA for sure. Um, but it is. It's a much tougher job than what it used to be, and that's sad for those fans and, and the fans that do show up. And in attendance hadn't been as great, you know, but, um, you know, I, I still think that when you, when you think about, you know, that program, it's, it's not necessarily something that I would call on life support or a terrible job. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would say that it's, uh, it, it's something somebody could do something with. But, you know, if you get an up-and-comer, he's going to be gone. If you get a Rich Rod or somebody like that, once they get their resume straight – you're not going to be able to hold on to him either. So, so we right. And that's similar to, to most of those, you know, group fives, even the American coaches, like if you do a really good job, whether it's, you know, Herman at Houston and so on and so forth, you're, you're going to get the, you're going to get power five offers and you're going to go. Um, but a lot of those group five schools, what they lack in TV revenue, uh, maybe what they lack in overall gate, uh, like for example, I've done games in Ruston, Louisiana, Louisiana Tech, mm-hmm. and I'm here to tell you they got some heavyweight donors. They yeah. got some guys with buku bucks that are not afraid to open up their checkbook. And if you need a new weight room or you need a new this, a new that, they are there, brother. 
And so that what's the difference between Ruston, Louisiana, and Hattiesburg, Mississippi? In some cases, it just comes down to one or two boosters. And that's the difference between your program having a, a fighting chance of really competing more uh, versus maybe not. Because I think a lot of people thought when the, when the smoke cleared and the American pilfered so many of the, of the top uh, Conference USA schools, and what was left was what was left on the uh, in the CUSA, which had to you know basically pluck out schools like FIU and FAU with virtually no tradition. And Southern Miss would just dominate that league. That hasn't been the case at all because again, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they started seven and three last year and ended up in the in the in the Armed Forces Bowl and got waxed by Tulane. You know that's a that's a peer school that they used to beat routinely. Tulane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and Tulane, obviously, with Willie Fritz, had the leg up. And, and you know, they lost to, to Western Kentucky, FAU, and Tulane to end last season. And then opened with a loss to South Alabama. I guess at Southern Miss, he lose to Lane Kiffin. Because uh, their fans, they, they don't they, – they, they don't like Ole Miss or Mississippi State. They don't, they don't take a back seat to those guys in that state. I know some of their fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so you lose to Lane Kiffin, who's now the head coach at Ole Miss – and then you lose to Tulane, who you should never lose to and used to never lose to. And then you open the season against South Alabama. It's right down the road in Mobile. Um, you know, that, that, those are more hurtful losses than maybe we think uh, when we're looking at it on the surface. So maybe that's why Jay Hobson's gobs is gone. It's going to be interesting to see who takes the job, though, because, like I said, I think that's an opportunity for somebody. Let, let's say like a, you know, uh, I don't know, name somebody from FCS that needs a, a deal, you know, it's – I don't know. I mean, that that's an opportunity, I think, at Southern Miss to get there, win some games, and then, then use it as a bridge somewhere else. You can get some talent. There have been uh, – there's there's a handful of guys from Southern Miss in the NFL right now. Yeah. Uh, so you, you can you can get some talent to Hattiesburg. That That is for sure. Uh, is it too soon to start looking at what we have on the slate for this coming Saturday? No, we, we got that. I got the schedule up right here. Um uh, intrigued a little bit, and I'll just say a little bit. You know, UAB at Miami. I'm, I'm curious to see what Miami's new look offense looks like Thursday night. Yeah, you got Syracuse at North Carolina. You've got Louisiana at Iowa State. A lot of people think Iowa State could be a dark horse team to compete for a Big 12 championship team. I and mean, Coach Campbell's done a great job. You look at their losses last year. They almost beat Oklahoma for the second straight year. Uh, I think they lost something like three games by a combined five or six points. I mean, they were, they easily could have had a magical season in Ames last year. They just fell a little bit short yeah. in a couple of big games. I think he's a uh, great coach. And I think, I, I think they could be a contender this year in the Big 12 for sure. Are you not shocked like me that he's still there? I mean, I think he's waiting for an yeah. NFL job as well. Maybe, you know, Louisiana and Billy Napier too. Billy Napier's a guy that last year, Probably could have had Mississippi State, but uh, elected to stay at Louisiana. So that's a matchup of guys that were kind of surprised that they're still there, huh? Yeah. You've got Duke at Notre Dame. Uh, you, know, you could make a case that's as marquee as it gets this Saturday. Cutcliffe uh, taking on the Golden Domers. Chase Bryce, former Clemson backup, starting for yeah. the Blue Devils. Yep. Completed that magical pass on fourth down. Right? Yeah. Not the same. They, they don't win a national championship if he doesn't do that. I know. He's he was a really good backup. Honestly, I thought I thought he may stick it out and uh take over for Trevor. They they do have another quarterback there that's really good, but I I've always liked him. I think 
I think he's going to be really good. I don't know what Duke has coming back in terms of the rest of their skill talent, but I think they're going to be pretty good at quarterback. So that could always be interesting. I think Notre Dame's had a really good preseason. I've read a lot of really good things about them. They've avoided a lot of the COVID stuff for the most part. Brian Kelly seems confident. Notre Dame's a 20-point favorite, though. And, I, I, you know, Duke's going to go in there and play their heads off. So we'll see what happens there. Missouri State at Oklahoma. You know what's significant about this game? It's the fact that in order to watch it, and you know how it is, if you're a fan of your particular team, you're going to do whatever you have to do to watch it. Well, there is no Big 12 network, right? This, this game has Big 12 network written all over it. Just like, you know, if Alabama plays Western Carolina, that's going to be on the SEC network. And it's, you get a chance to see it. If you're an Alabama fan, you don't have to watch it on your computer or anything else. You can watch it free. There's no Big 12 network. So if you're an Oklahoma fan and you want to see them battle the mighty bears of Missouri State, you got to drop down $54.95 pay-per-view. Ah, I see. I mean, if I were an Oklahoma, if I were a big time Oklahoma fan, I would, I'd pay it. But then there used to be pay per views. We remember that. But I used to do them. I used to do SEC pay per view. I used to do conference games. I remember doing one of my last ones was South Carolina at Ole Miss pay per view. So for a league game in the most powerful, successful conference in college football, you had to spend thirty four ninety five to watch it. Yet another advantage of your conference actually doing a deal with either ESPN or Fox to have a conference network. But when you don't have that and you still need to televise it, guess what? It's going to be a pay-per-view. Now, I've never heard of fifty-four ninety-five. That's That's a rather uh, nice inflation rate, but uh, they'll get people to pay it. They won't be happy about it, but they'll get people to pay it. Oh, yeah. And look, schools are going to need money. I mean, tickets this year... Around the SEC, I'm hearing 150 a piece per game. So, you know, and it's limited seating, of course. So it's kind of the demand is probably going to be higher. But yeah, it's, it's not going to be cheap to watch your favorite team this year. And that's, that's, that revenue will be important for Oklahoma to have because they're, they're going to lose out so much in terms of not having a full house. UTEP at Texas. That game will likely be over by midway through the second quarter. Uh, we were supposed to have FIU at UCF. That's been postponed. And then game day will be in Winston-Salem for the matchup of Clemson-Wake Forest. And yep. obviously, again, in a, in a normal year, I don't think game day is going to be in uh, Winston-Salem. But uh, this is, this is a, a Clemson showcase. And, uh, you know, number one team in America, the face of college football in Trevor Lawrence, uh, you would expect that to get some some pretty good coverage, and obviously that'll be the case. Yeah, Wake. Uh, there was a time when Wake used to be kind of a bugaboo for Clemson back during the Tommy Bowden era, but Dabo's pretty much owned them. No fans at Truist Field uh, in Winston Salem. Um, Truist is kind of a new company, you know. They they I guess they merged with SunTrust and yes. merged, and so now the Braves play at Truist Field, which is blowing my mind. And, and nobody is, likes saying it either. I know it's uh, <laughs> that I has like, not been a popular change. SunTrust Park was awesome to say it's at awesome. Truist Park. Yes, um, but you know, no fans uh, in Winston Salem at that game, and so. You know, I I think it's going to kind of be a bizarre scrimmage-looking deal, uh, but certainly good to see the Tigers get back out there and play 
Uh, Dabo said today he didn't care if they piped in Marvin Gaye or whatever kind of music. They could just do that. <laughs> um, and, and one interesting ACC game, though, Mike, Georgia Tech at Florida State, and I, I want to bridge to this because – some of our fans have been leaving questions about our podcast and rating us five. Yeah, stars. break them out. I want to pre back time. Tell everybody we appreciate that. We promised we'd play it on it. Promised we talk Big Twelve, and we have promised we'd answer these questions. And please go to the Apple iTunes or Apple Podcast. It used to be iTunes. Uh, right there on rate us five stars and write a little review if you can. Um, and just to go through one of them before I get to this one, uh, RMG Jr. says, this is the best sports podcast there is. Um, like a Doug says, uh, amazing for college football fans. This is required listening. If you want to know what coaches, athletic directors, and players are saying about the games and headlines, Mike and JC are seasoned and tenured. It's no nonsense and informative. It'll help you talk to your friends about the college football details they don't know about. Sweet. Um, RMG and A Doug, I just want to say right off the bat, you rule. Please, uh, it's like you know, in a world full of hot takes and politics, <laughs> uh, invading college football. Mike and JC shoot it straight. Best CV podcast, CV CFB podcast on twenty four seven because we are on twenty four seven sports and one of the best in the country. All right, so Dave says, love the podcast. Keep up the good work, Mike and JC. What's your take on how long it will take Coach Collins, Jeff Collins, to get Georgia Tech to the point of challenging the ACC? Georgia Tech is at Florida State, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, Doak Campbell in Tallahassee. I think they're letting about 18,000 in. Um, Very interesting football game, in my opinion, Michael. Very interesting, just because some of the turmoil Florida State's had. And, you know, Georgia Tech showed they weren't completely lifeless last year. They beat Miami and, I think, NC State. Um, So, your thoughts on this game and then your thoughts on Jeff Collins at Tech. Well, I like the hire of Jeff Collins. I thought it was a solid hire. Uh, Look, the Georgia Tech job maybe lost a little luster over the years. And I can tell you, and I I, back when I was hosting a, a show here in Atlanta, you know, I would open it up to Georgia Tech fans. This is a market that's dominated by Georgia. It's dominated by the SEC fan bases. But every now and then, I wanted to sneak in a little G Tech, and and they would uh, constantly bring up the point that the the math requirements, like it, it's it's no joke. Like there's no getting past it. It is what they have to do to get certain kids in and keep them eligible is unique. Now, I don't know that firsthand, but I've talked to enough people um, who have, have said that. And, and, you know, I even knew uh, an analyst on his staff. Remember, now you get nine full-time coaches, mm-hmm. but you also get to hire analysts. To give you an idea of the difference in the budget of a Georgia Tech, say, versus even a Florida State right in your own league, uh, that analyst that I knew uh, got fired because of the pandemic uh, because mm-hmm. they just they couldn't afford to keep paying him not because he did a bad job he was all set to go um that's georgia tech is run they have some obstacles that a clemson a florida state a north carolina maybe uh simply don't have Uh, georgia tech the last time i checked is picked near the bottom or at the bottom of of most of the acc polls Mm -hmm. look uh, when he took over it was a it was a low point paul johnson who had some fine moments there but Paul Johnson, uh, it, it got to the point where Georgia Tech was just irrelevant. It they were hard to, to watch. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. They weren't winning. They were hard to watch. There was no buzz, no pun intended. And once, once that job came open, it's like whoever takes it over in my estimation, that was a three or four year rebuild. So yeah. I would, I would tell any Georgia tech fan, be patient because this was not a job that was going to be a turnkey, you know, get back to you winning ways in two years. Like I, I think it's going to take three or four years to re-recruit, uh, to, to obviously they've changed that offense. Thank goodness. Um, and the ACC, you could make the argument has gotten a little bit better. Uh, you've got some programs now like in North Carolina that are starting to be, uh, more relevant, so I would say give it three, four years. This year could be another one that's, that's going, to be, going to be tough. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I was surprised actually last year that they won a game, to be honest. They, they lost to Citadel. And, but somehow Miami lost to them, and that makes that Miami-UAB game pretty important, in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. They got some guys. I like Malachi Carter at receiver. Um, I like Jameis Griffin at running back. Jordan Mason's a solid running back. James Graham was a freshman quarterback last year. Dual threat guy. Jordan Yates is good. Jeff Sims is good as a freshman. Um, you know, so so I think maybe they'll be they'll show some steps. But um, honestly, I you know, I, I, if Florida State loses that one, then the fellowship of the miserable in Tallahassee is going to continue because mm. that means FSU is a lot worse than what we think. But I, I'm with you. It's going to take Jeff Collins a couple of years. He is recruiting well. They're recruiting Georgia talent. They're recruiting – the recruiting didn't make – I mean, basically Paul Johnson used recruiting as some sort of like, oh, I'm just going to go recruit whoever I want, and then I'm going to show you because I'm going to run the option and beat you. And now, then when I leave, we're going to have Southern Conference talent on offense, <laughs> and uh, nobody's going to be able to do anything. So – I think that was it right there. And I'll uh, just say this real quick. If you've ever been to, to Grant Field or a game at Georgia Tech, I mean, there's so much going for that program that they should be better. Like, I, if you can't sell kids on playing in downtown, midtown Atlanta, uh, you know, the, the, the mecca of college football, there is, of course, tradition going back 100 years at Georgia Tech. I know it's an engineering school. It's different. It's, it's just, you have to get over that. It, it, it's different, but it's a cool place to play college football. And you, I think you can win there. And it wasn't that long ago. They were doing it again. Paul Johnson, for as much as I just couldn't not stand that offense, had some blips on the radar of success. You go back to, O'Leary and Gailey, uh, you can win at Georgia Tech. Oh yeah, it should be one of the best programs in the ACC. I mean, just to be honest, I mean it's it's in the state of Georgia for goodness sake, and I know they have challenges there, but their fan base, you know, as small as it is, uh, is very passionate, and that they used to be one. They left the SEC, Mike. Yeah. In the sixties, not because, not for any other reason, but like they thought they could go independent. Like they were like, like Texas was going to do, uh, we'll just leave the big 12 and go independent. That's how good Georgia tech was once upon a time. They were, they were powered there. There's no doubt about it. And I don't know if they're going to get back to top 20 type power, but I certainly think they could be much better than what they've been. Absolutely. All right. I'll read one more of these things. Uh, and then we're going, uh, all right, best college football pod by far. These two are fair and know their stuff. There isn't a lot of fat to be trimmed. Well, you haven't seen my waistline lately. Uh, <laughs> Mike had Ohio State not built on the season, and he said OSU. I'm assuming it's not Oregon State. 
would they have beaten Clemson in a national championship game? Uh, I, I, again, I'm going to assume all these questions are no COVID casualties at the yeah, time of the game. As is, yeah, as, as is. is. Uh, God, I thought that I I think that would have been an outstanding game, the kind that um, college football deserves and could have used, even if it was in a semifinal, whatever. But I mean, to me. I would give Clemson a slight edge, but I mean that's almost a pick'em game on a neutral field. I think Justin Fields was was destined to have a magical year in Columbus. Um, I realize they lost a lot on the line, but they, they look they lose a lot on the line every year. They become Alabama in that respect. They had weapons around Fields, I, ETN, and Lawrence. And, uh, I just think it would have been an outstanding game, but I would have get, I would have made Clemson a slight favorite. I would have made Clemson a slight favorite. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to go with Ohio State, and I'm and uh, Clemson people are going. Well, that's no surprise. I'm. I always pick. I'll pick Clemson when they need. Clemson lost some guys now. T. Higgins, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Justin Ross is not with that team now. They have some bigger, young receivers that played a lot last year, and Nagata and Latson. Um, Will Sweeney, Dabo's son, is a second-team receiver. Uh, They've got some guys that are kind of unproven. They lost some offensive linemen. Uh, You know, I think that you got ETN, you got Lawrence, you're probably better than most of the teams you play. Uh, But then, you know, you look at the defense, and there's a lot of talent. Uh, Miles Murphy is going to be an excellent freshman defensive end, and Brian Breesey may be the best freshman defensive lineman in the entire country. In fact, I would pick him as that. But that Ohio State team they had coming back, Mike, was loaded. And, and I think because Fields is at least close to Lawrence, I would have probably given them the edge. And I know that makes every Buckeye fan that happens to be listening to our podcast sick to the stuff. Because I just – looking at Clemson, you know, that are they going to have the ability to throw it up? T. Higgins makes a magical catch. You know, are they going to have that kind of guy? Because, I mean, I like these guys. I like Nagata. I like Ladson. They're both bigger guys that are capable, but they're not proven – and so that, that, that's my only question there because, you know, the few times Clemson did get in trouble last year, maybe Lawrence throws an errant pass or something like that. They had a lot of guys that could just go up and jump and get it and run. And, you know, I, I'm not saying they don't have it right now, but if I were just projecting, uh, I would go probably with Ohio State. Okay. Yeah, of course, they lose Chase Young, but obviously still have a lot of uh, talent on defense. I, I mean, I, again, it would have been an outstanding game. I, I, there's nobody we're going to miss in the big picture uh, from the Pac-12. I don't think anybody from the Pac-12 was – I mean, I know Oregon had some buzz, but I, I just don't think they were getting in the playoff they, this year. They would have lost, They would have knocked each other. USC, Oregon, Arizona State, Utah. Right. They'd have probably – Washington, they'd have probably all canceled each other out. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't see the Pac- Pac-12 factoring in per usual – uh, in the playoff, but Ohio State, yeah, oh yeah, I think Ohio State would have been excellent. I think now we're going to have a big chaotic year, right? Where you're going to see like everybody except Alabama and Clemson. Like you're going to go, what the heck, every weekend. But my prediction is we're going to be sitting there, Mike, me, and you recording a uh, 
a uh, pre-national championship game podcast, and it's going to be Alabama and Clemson yet again in, in the championship game. I, I, I just feel like after all this 2020, we're going to go right back to Bama versus yeah. Clemson for all the marbles. Cause I think very quietly, Alabama has a very, very good team coming back. Uh, no question. I, I mean, they're the Vegas favorite to win the SEC. It's it's almost like we we took our year off from that with LSU, and now eh, let's get back to normal and have mm-hmm. Nick Saban and uh, the Crimson Tide uh, winning the, the Southeastern Conference. And then you know, Clemson is they're not going to be put Notre Dame. I, I, I no, they're not going to be pushed in the ACC. I don't believe. And the thing is like, I, I know this is supposed to be the most unpredictable, crazy, wacky, zany year, but everybody's playing with the same disadvantages. And when you're yeah. playing with those disadvantages, the deepest teams have the biggest advantage. The deepest yeah. teams are the ones we keep talking about every year in the playoff. <laughs> and so they're going to have an even bigger advantage in my estimation. You're going to say, I, and, I, and I will say this though. I don't think there's a lot of those teams. I think Alabama and Clemson are in that category. I think Ohio State, had they been playing, was in that category. I think everybody else, eh, player here, player there, uh, eh, they may be yeah. in some trouble at certain positions, like like your Floridas of the world. You know, um, Georgia's probably up there right behind those two or three I mentioned because I actually think regardless of their quarterback situation, they're going to be good. But, you know, your Floridas of the world, your Texas A&Ms, your – your Oklahoma's even, I, you know, they, they're the LSU, Matt, Matt said something interesting earlier. Everybody's still talking about LSU. Like as Nick Saban said, they're just going to poop another player because they've recruited. Well, dude, I just 30, 35 guys are gone. They have five returning starters off that team. They lost both coordinators. You have guys opting out. It's an all sec schedule. Yeah. Um, I love Ed Orgeron, man, but I don't see it. Not this don't, year. Don't, don't be surprised if, if they <laughs> if they're eking out a bowls truck, you know, and, 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 and you don't, uh, uh, quote unquote poop Jamar chases out even for no. a school that gets a exactly. ton of good wide receivers that that dude was different uh, when he opted out that that that's a major uh, uh, development there and I'll just say to our, our our Big 12 fan who had a question last week that we weren't able to get to because uh, the clock ran out on us uh, look it, it's got to start being Texas to help build up the brand of that league mm-hmm. it can't be Oklahoma and the other nine. Uh, you've got Ellinger back. You've got a lot of veterans back. Tom Herman has had enough time now to actually win the Big 12. So that's that's what you need. There are certain conferences that just simply have to have a certain program be good for the overall league to be really good or great. Um, the SEC doesn't, believe it or not, the SEC doesn't have to have Alabama to have that. It helps. But as you saw last year, you still got LSU. You got AM on the come. You got Georgia consistently a power. You got Florida on the come. You've got programs people don't even talk about that are good, like Kentucky. That's the difference. The Big 12 can't rely on TCU, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, as good a story as they are. And we talked about Matt Campbell earlier and threw him a few bouquets. But it, it's got to be Texas. And, and this is a, a grand opportunity for Texas because I know everybody is, is in love with the Oklahoma quarterback uh, but he he is still a redshirt freshman am I right oh yeah he's not, he's not a transfer so he, he's not going to have the advantage 
of Baker and Kyler and it's, it's going to be a little bit different look uh, in Norman. Yeah, I agree. And uh, you know, you got to see kind of what happens there. And obviously the game with, uh, with Texas is going to be huge. I mean, but that, that league, you know, and, 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 and TCU not lost their quarterback. Um, you know, I, I think they would have stuck up on some people. I have no idea what to think about Baylor. Uh, David Randa takes over there. Oklahoma state though is supposed to be good. And we mentioned Iowa state earlier. Watch out for those two teams as, mm-hmm. as flies in the ointment for right. Texas and OU, because I, I think those teams are capable, very capable and they're both very well coached. Yeah. And I'm not trying to down the league. I, I like the big 12. Again, I had four fun years uh, calling games in that league. I, I think top to bottom, it's, it's a good solid league. It's, it's a fun but, league. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun league, but you, you can't get past the, the uh, impression is that they play no defense in that league. That's not going to change until things start changing literally on the field with scores and yards and everything else. And you've got to have more than Oklahoma. There's just, there's, there's gotta be a number two there. And I just don't see anybody fulfilling that role in the immediate future other than Texas. Uh, Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma state roster wise, because of the guys they have back, uh, Chuba Hubbard, you know, is, uh, a really good player, but are they good on defense? You know, that defense suspect, it's probably still still suspect, you know, um, Iowa state, you know, you just, you can't really see them breaking through and beating everybody. Although they were very close last year to just about everybody they played. Uh, I think the Notre Dame game uh, in the bowl, they lost 33 to nine pretty bad. That's that. I think that's kind of motivated Notre Dame a little bit. (laughs) Um, And giving them momentum. But we'll see. We'll see kind of what happens with that. The Big 12 should be fascinating uh, to see if anybody else does rise up this year. And that's certainly, you know, with only three power five leaves to talk about, Mike, that's going to be a talking point for us is, is the Big 12 this year and kind of, you know, Texas OU or who, whoever else. With, with, with those other two leagues dropping out, um, it's just a huge opportunity for leagues like the Big 12, the American the ACC. I mean, the SEC quite, quite honestly didn't need any help, but I think the, you, you, those other leagues, some other, those, some of those programs, those midline programs could have used a boost. They get it this year. You can't say you're not going to get exposure. You are going to be plastered all over the TV windows throughout the day when ordinarily you might just be buried on the depth chart. That's not going to be the case this year. Uh, a lot of inventory has been lost and you're going to be the benefactors <laughs> of that for sure. I like the questions. Tell folks uh, before we sign off how they can give us some more of those. and We'll read uh, sure. some more and answer some more next week. Absolutely. Go to the Apple podcast store and uh, it used to be iTunes. It's right there. If you're an iPhone user like I am, not Mike, but like I am, uh, you have a podcast app right on your phone. Go look for JC and Morgan. Scroll down. Yeah, there's a rating. You rate us five stars and then leave us a, a review. And leave us a question, and we'd love to hear from you. I always like to be interactive. Another thing you can do is uh, we have a Twitter account for the podcast. It's at JC and Morgan, at JC and Morgan on Twitter. Uh, just tweet at us. Uh, you can tweet at that. You can tweet at Mike at Morgan on air or at me at JC Sherbert. That's S H U R B U R T T. So uh, get us on Twitter. Uh, preferably, you know, I'll, I'll say the priorities are going to be the one on the Apple pod store, just because that's kind of how we get ranked on lists and stuff like that. More people can enjoy 
a good cold JC and Morgan <laughs> uh, by listening to our podcast. Yeah, and for cavemen like me that are still Android users, <laughs> you'll still find a way to reach us. By the way, speaking of cavemen, remind me to tell you my postal service story uh, next week. We don't have enough time this week, but um, I can imagine. Uh, I, I I said this once years ago. Westerham and I were, were doing a show here in Atlanta like seven years ago, and I started off. You could tell I was visibly upset. And I just shook my head, and he said, what? I said, I won't get into the story, but let's just say, you know, the, the Postal Service, you guys had a good run. You, you really did. You had a good run, but it's time. And seven years later, I was forced to uh, mail a pack, a valuable package uh, because it was a return, and so there was no FedEx or UPS uh, option. And uh, sure enough, it was an unmitigated disaster. So maybe some of you can uh, commiserate with me next week on that story. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm sure people can. So. <laughs> All right. So again, thanks to Matt Stinchcomb. Thanks to everybody tuning in. We'll see you next week for JC. Mike saying so long.